Hey guys, and welcome to episode nine of the Healthified podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has for over 15 years delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Not only have I come to better understand the tools we can use to become healthier human beings, but I love gaining new insights and perspectives from others in the field and sharing the health with all of you. This episode of Healthified is brought to you by our sister company, Gratisfied, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. Our nutrition bars are made with real food ingredients and blood sugar balance in mind. For a discount off of our products, visit gratisfied.com and use the promo code healthified at checkout. Today's guest is Jane Ellington, yogi, entrepreneur, and founder of The Yoga Shed, a studio that offers both in-person classes in Richmond, Virginia, and online streaming services. Jane considers herself a lifelong student, not only in her yoga practice, but also in life. After discovering yoga at the age of 14, it has been a fundamental aspect of her life, positively impacting her teens and 20s. Knowing that she one day wanted to turn her passion for teaching into her career, she started offering private and small group classes to friends and family. While she had an idea of how she wanted her path and business to unfold, the situation with COVID-19 forced her to pivot. Fortunately, it led her to a business model that felt much more aligned. And in the fall of 2020, Jane opened the Yoga Shed. In our conversation, we talk more about her personal yoga practice, how it has influenced her physical, mental, and spiritual health, what it takes and what you have to overcome to pursue your dream path, and so much more. Let's head to our chat. Hi, Jane. Hey, Sarah. So glad to have you on here. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yes. I, um, I can't wait to get into all the things with yoga and your new business. And I know it's going to be quite the conversation. Um, so why don't we just start out by you introducing yourself and telling a little bit more about your background and story and how you got to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Jane Ellington, and I opened the Yoga Shed here in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I mean, physically, it opened a couple weeks ago, but I've been working on this business since um, almost a year ago. So it all started um, last November, and my mother-in-law actually asked me to come over and help her stretch because she was having some back problems, and I'm a certified yoga teacher. Um, and so I went over to her house and that became a weekly routine, which turned into three times a week. Um, and simultaneously, I was actually working on a bigger yoga concept with um, you actually. <laughs> um, and so, it's, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the yoga world, but there are some non-competes in the yoga world. So I had stopped teaching formally at a large studio and as a result, wanted to keep my teaching up and took on more, more and more private clients. So a year later, I'm teaching about 26 private or semi-private um, groups a week and formed a business earlier this year um, and developed the space so that I had a place to do it and I didn't have to 
drive to people's houses or have people in my living room anymore. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So, I mean, your business as it is now basically kind of took shape over, I mean, a majority of it over 2020 with the COVID experience. What was that like? Definitely. It was um, a really interesting process. I, I started out with people, most of the people that I knew already, friends and family. And um, as studios had to shut down, I started to see an increase in demand of people wanting to have accountability, wanting that human interaction um, rather than just doing a video in their living room. And so during the pandemic, um, it's definitely grown. And I've seen a lot of other studios start to offer more private and small group um, accommodations as well. Mm-hmm. So it's been, a, it's been a strange year to say the least. Yeah. Um, definitely been a huge silver lining for me this year, but it doesn't um, go, I don't know. I, it's Yeah, without the stress. I mean, I feel as if, you know, you definitely had. But I, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting, I think, to see where, where we fall this time next year when things are hopefully better. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's really interesting about you in the past year is that, you know, it kind of, you had this bigger idea of where you wanted yoga and business for you to go, but due to um, 2020 and coronavirus and all of that, it was like, you were kind of forced to pivot in a way to kind of work with what you had um, and your limitations. But it seems to me that that, um, path and way that your business has evolved kind of aligns with you more than what it would have if you kind of went that other route. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I've really grown to love teaching privates. Um, Mm -hmm. when I did my 300 hour training this summer, we talked a lot about the history of yoga and, um, philosophy and really it was a classical Ashtanga training with a woman in Charlottesville. And so, when we look back at how yoga was traditionally taught, it was always taught one-on-one with a teacher and a student. And I think for me, I used to be in the classrooms with 30 to 50 people and loud music and shouting cues into the abyss, praying that people knew what I was saying. And I think for me, it's been really, um, as a teacher, it's been a lot more of a deep and meaningful experience to be able to work with people one-on-one, two-on-one, up to three or four-on-one and mm-hmm. watch them grow. Yeah. Um, and tailor it for their bodies. Yeah. And I want to kind of get into the difference between kind of like a private experience versus studio experience. But um, I love what you said about the way that it was traditionally taught, because I think I told you this when I did my 200 hour, my training was private one-on-one, um, which I think I had like a lot of guilt and almost, um, imposter syndrome around. But then when I found out that that is how, like it's traditionally done in history, it just actually made it feel more special and authentic. Um, so I definitely get what you mean by that. And, um, and I also want to kind of get into the differences of your trainings a little bit down the road, but I want to back up and I want to kind of go to, when you first discovered yoga, because I know that you were um, young, you know, relatively so, and um, how that kind of shaped your teenage years and into your 20s. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So yeah, I was very young. I was 14 when I started doing yoga, which yeah. I'm 28 now. So I've been doing it for half my life. Um, and I had asthma as a child, so I'm very familiar with the um, sensation of not being able to breathe. And wow. um, I've also experienced anxiety for most of my life. I, I think I first remember having anxiety in fourth grade. I was moving from Canada to Arkansas for the second time. And I do the thing where like you pick your fingers. It's really not attractive. I've been trying to stop <laughs> in fourth grade and it's a lifelong journey, it turns out. But yeah. for me, um, that concept of being able to breathe and be still in my body when I just felt like my brain was always going, going, going was a really um, a first time experience for me. So my mom and I started going together once a week when I was 14, like I said, and I really just liked the practice of it. Um, I also grew up going to church. And so it was just like this weekly kind of resonant um, experience that you could just kind of pause and be in your body and breathe and just not feel like you had to do something productive or solve something. And when I went to college, I went to the University of Virginia, wahoo wah. <laughs> so I continued that same journey with yoga. I found, I started actually in Bikram yoga there. It was still mm -hmm. called Bikram yoga at the mm -hmm. time. Now it's called Hot Yoga Charlottesville. Um, and that was the first time that I was in such an intense yoga experience in terms of like the heat and it's very mm -hmm. like militaristic and how they teach. And I, I did that for a while. And then in my third year, junior year of college, I found Ashtanga Yoga Charlottesville, which is in Belmont, if you're familiar with Charlottesville. And I thought that was the first time I really experienced one-on-one -on -one yoga. So they have something called the Mysore program there, which the Ashtanga sequence, it's the same thing every time. And you go in and do your practice and the teacher walks around and helps you. And you might add a pose as you get more further and further along. And I would go to the 10 a.m. slot because that was what worked with my class schedule. And there was nobody there because most people are at work at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to work with this teacher. And that was like the first time I was like, oh, my God, I'm actually like learning how to do this right. Like I'm not just praying. Yeah. Like, okay, down dog, up dog. <laughs> so yeah. that was really cool. Um, and so when I moved to DC after college, I did my 200 hour in um, Baptiste Power Yoga at Down Dog under Patty Ivy, which if you're at all familiar with Baptiste, it's a major studio. They've got four locations in DC. And Patty was a great teacher. Um, she's very, she's known for being intense and yeah. that's what I needed at that time in my life. Um, I was in my early twenties. I was trying to figure out who I was going to be and what I was going to do. And I needed that fire kind of lit under me. Mm -hmm. And so I went on and, um, honestly, after I finished my training, I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. I'm not good enough. I don't have anything to offer. Like it was just that experience of, I don't know, you learn so much and you're like, God, these people just know so much more than me. Yeah. It's that imposter syndrome, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I took a year to kind of digest it all. 
And then when I moved to Richmond, I started teaching um, at the Hot Yoga Bar and then Humble Haven here. Mm-hmm. And then um, really kind of fell in love with teaching. I think for me, I was always nervous to be in front of people and talking like you talk. Now I talk all day long and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even think about it. When I realized that it wasn't about me, it was about the other person's experience is really when becoming a teacher felt like something that I wanted to do. Mm. And then fast forward to this summer, um, I was already working in a private setting and I wanted to go deeper. So I retraced my roots back to Ashtanga, Charlottesville, where I'd had that first one-on-one experience and completed my 300 hour training this summer under Carol Ann Friedman, who is the owner of Ashtanga Yoga Charlottesville. That's amazing. And I wanna get a little deeper into kind of the differences between um, power yoga and Ashtanga and like, what is it, like the principles of each that resonate with you? What is it that doesn't resonate with you? Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So. Baptiste is, um, it's typically the same sequence. It was founded by Baron Baptiste in the 1980s, kind of when became, when working out became um, a thing. And he, it's a very powerful, fast, sweaty practice. It's the same sequence. There's definitely variations on it. Um, The sequence is called Journey into Power. And I think for me, what really resonated with me about that training and that style is the, um, there's this concept of transformation and mm-hmm. leaning into what you're a stand for. Um, I mean, really good Baptiste teachers, like they could be motivational speakers. They're up there. Yes. yes like I, I'm picking up what you are putting down. So I would yeah. <laughs> And there's some great ones out there. And I think for me, the Ashtanga method is, um, it's so physical. Like some of the poses are, you see a picture of it and you're like, I will never do that. My body will not get into that pose. And lo and behold, after some hard work and dedication, it does. And um, the classes to me, especially the Mysore method and just being in a private experience, um, it's a little bit more of that yogic experience, I guess. So mm-hmm. my favorite yoga sutra is, it's yoga's chitavriti nirodaha, and it means yoga is to restrain the twistings and turnings of the mind. Mm-hmm. And I think when you get into this more quiet, resonant practice, that's when the thoughts want to come up, right? And I think there's a certain level of bigger yoga classes where, you're getting entertained a little bit. Like I'm telling you a story, I'm playing music. You can yeah. walk in the room and see what other people are doing. And when you really have to go in, um, it was something that I don't think I was really ready to do in my early twenties. And now that I've just been, got been more experienced and dedicated to the practice, it's something that I'm more ready to experience now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can Google it. The Ashtanga primary series, secondary series, there, it goes up to the six series, which like, I, I don't really actually know anybody in the world that's gotten through the six series. I think yeah. people that are working on the third. I mean, I was happy to finish the primary series. 
and I'll be, I'm happy to start the secondary series. We're <laughs> <laughs> like putting a leg behind a head. And yeah. But yeah. Well, and I feel like that can be kind of like intimidating, especially for someone who doesn't know anything about yoga. And, you know, that kind of brings me to my next question is like, I think that there's so many misconceptions. I think um, there can kind of be like two sides of the coin where someone who's like super into fitness, right. Who is like, oh, yoga is too easy for me. Or, um, you know, the other side of it where it's like someone would be like super intimidated to walk into a class. So can you kind of like paint a picture for someone who like just doesn't know too much about yoga and like what they would expect kind of going into a yoga class and like, not like what is required of them, right? But it's like, I remember my teacher in Williamsburg telling me like, you know, yoga is just like about connecting movement to breath or body to breath. And so it's like, it's not necessarily even about like the flow. I mean, you could be sitting in a still posture and you could be doing yoga. Um, so kind of just like, talk to me a little bit about that for someone who just doesn't really know anything about it. Yeah, I think there are a lot of misconceptions. You're absolutely right. And yeah, I think if you can sit still and breathe, you're doing yoga. Like there, the posture is so secondary mm -hmm. and it's, it's almost like a tool that we give something. It's like a toy that we give a kid to like distract our brain or, you know, occupy it while we're moving and breathing. I like to think of it as a moving meditation. So I think if you, it depends on what class you're walking into, I would do your research and find a place that maybe will have more of a Hatha style or something where you'll hold postures longer, especially starting out. Um, so that way you're not feeling left in the dust. And I think that's the beauty of private too, is that it, yoga will always meet you where you are if you find the right teacher and the right mm. space. And that might be online in your living room, finding a, a YouTube video. And yeah. if you're, I think if you're willing to have an experience in your body that you'll have a yoga experience and that it doesn't have to look like anything. Right. And I think that's the problem for a lot of people is that there's so many people who are a either so disconnected from their body or B they don't want to feel right. They like don't want to be in their body because it's something that makes them so uncomfortable, especially with people who have body image issues or history of eating disorders and things like that. When, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but I would almost say that that could be something. I mean, yoga was a practice for me that helped me develop a more positive relationship with my body that any other type of movement hadn't in my life. So, um, but, you know, I think that that is a big form of resistance for a lot of people is that, I mean, they don't know that they're supposed to even just like feel their body when they're walking around in the day to day. Um, it's not something that they've ever connected to before. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it can be really uncomfortable to sit and breathe and feel your feelings and feel your whatever is happening in your body. And right. we, all, we reach for a lot of things in our culture, like food, alcohol, drugs, like to numb, not feel, yeah. to like shut it down. And um, right. I think 
if you can just get through that first level of discomfort, which there isn't any anything new. I love it. Um, Brene Brown's podcast, she calls them FFTs, effing first times. And like, that's what I <laughs> Right. Like I joke with my friend, like I can do yoga all day long and I went to a bar class with her and like we're 10 minutes in and I'm like, how much longer do we have? <laughs> and so anything hard. And um, I think if you can just try to be present, that that's, it's so hard. And, but it is such a gift because life's hard, right? And I think that's what our yoga mat is a, it's a mini life that we live out on our mat. We start mm. in child's pose often. We're a brand new baby and we end in corpse pose. We're dead. We, mm. And we roll over into fetal position. We come up and we're born again with a oh, friend. I love that. So it's really a symbol of things that we get through in life and holding postures and like wanting to run out of the room or getting out of this position. Like we, those are those conversations that like, I just, you don't want to be in anymore. Or, you know, I think yeah. there's one right now that it's hard to sit through, but that's part of it. Yeah. And I think a good example of that is like, I, I think about this a lot, especially if I'm having a, um, let me call it a discussion with conflict with my husband. Right. And like, traditionally like I'm a fleer like I would just want to walk out of the room and I would every time um and then I remember like the more I got into um the more I started doing yoga regularly and it was always in chair pose um and then I remember like a certain teacher would be like you can sit in the discomfort and like you can stay here right and like I honestly think about that experience a lot of the times with you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it fights, um, you know, with my spouse and like how I'm just like now, I mean, there's still those times where like, I want to walk out of the room, but I'll just like, I know that I can stay and that that will be more productive and like serving in the end. Right. So it's like those little lessons that you learn on your yoga mat, like being able to apply them to real life situations. I mean, it's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good example. Yeah. So I was looking at your website before we hopped on and I was reading a little bit um, more about your background on your about page. And I love it when people say like, you're always a student. Um, and I know that you have that in your description. So can you tell a little bit, you kind of like, I've already kind of spoken to this a little bit just before, but will you tell a little bit about what that means? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I finished my 300 hour training this summer and I'm already like, what other trainings can I yeah. do? Yeah. So <laughs> much information and I, I still feel like I'm scratching the surface. And that mm. every day, I think I learned so much from my students as well as the teachers that I've had. And I think just that it's something that was instilled in me through my grandfather was an educator and he like traveled the world. He went to India like 12 times and like we'd go on all these trips and he was just always learning something new, like up until the day he died. And that's just something that I, I want to be in my life. So yes. um, I think there's also so many styles of yoga and God, there's so many bodies in the world. Like yes. it's so different in every person. And so 
I want to continue learning not only what does yoga feel like in my body, but what it feels like in my students' bodies and how can I better serve my students ultimately. Yeah. And so who have been, I know you've mentioned a couple names, but who have been some of like your greatest mentors and teachers? Gosh, there's been several. I think from a yoga perspective, Patty has always been um, a mentor in terms of the Baptiste style of like making people feel something. Um, Carol Ann, who trained me this summer, is a huge mentor, especially when it comes to how I do hands-on adjustments, which is a huge part of my teaching. She spent um, three years of her life in Mysore, India, in the Mysore program there. And so she worked day in and day out with people that were seven feet tall and people that were four feet tall. And she can she knows how to get like pretty much anybody into any position. And that's really cool. Wow. And then in terms of cueing, um, I love a teacher, her name's Annie Carpenter and she's, I follow her on Yoga Glow. I've never actually met her, but I think her cueing is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And then in terms of life, I mean, my parents have been huge mentors. My mom was a kindergarten teacher and a yoga teacher as well. And so she brings a certain lightness that I try to bring. And my dad is an engineer and like a business person. And so I try to have a bit of a balance between the two. Yes, I love that. Um, It always, I just, I love when I hear that kind of like parents um, have kind of had that you know, background is something that they can instill on their children because, you know, for me, I grew up in like with very like traditional parents where it was, you know, not, there wasn't a lot of that like spirituality or even physical movement. Like, yeah, my mom would like go on walks and stuff, but it wasn't like, I didn't know what yoga was until I was probably like 25. So um, I think to be able to like instill that um, just like, not even just yoga, but just a consciousness for health, whatever that should mean, whether it has to do with food or movement or spirituality or whatever can just be so, um, so important, you know, and especially like in this generation too, mindfulness, if you will, like, I didn't know what mindfulness was until very later on. So it's very, um, special to hear you say that. Yeah. Thank you. I guess too my husband Tom is like my biggest cheerleader so he's a lot of fun and he has he's very creative and so a lot of my ideas for the shed actually come through his brain so that is so great (laughs) to be able to have someone like that not not only supports you but contribute the same way I feel like for you He's like, you're death gratified biggest cheerleader for sure. Yeah. Well, yes. Well, I mean, he kind of has to be because I'm the one that sometimes like wants to put my head in a hole and he like has to pull me back out. Um, so he's been, yeah, very supportive and he's very like entrepreneurial and business minded. Whereas like, I would say I am now, but it took me some time to kind of like wrap my head around all of that. Whereas like he, he's just naturally very inclined to think that way. So it's very good when your partner can be supportive like that, um, for sure. So when did you first realize like that you wanted to kind of turn this passion into a business path? I think it 
something that I thought about for a long time, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think that it was really something that was possible. Um, You know, I feel like I, before I was a full-time teacher, I worked in marketing and in DC and Dallas and Richmond and yoga was kind of my outlet. Like I would go to a class every day practically, or I was teaching a class a couple of times a week. And it was something that it was like, that's that knowing feeling that I was like, well, that's just silly. Like that's never going to happen. So I should just, you know, figure out something more practical to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, really it was, I think through our conversations early on, like, I think you really opened my mind up to the idea that that is totally a possibility. Like whatever you want to do, you can do it if you believe Mm -hmm. in yourself and actually work hard. Um, And I'm not just saying that because you're interviewing me. It's true. I was thinking about this before um, our interview. Because you, I mean, you've had a really interesting path where you were teaching bar and um, doing nutritional counseling and, I think that we get put in a box so young about like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Like, what does it look like? And it doesn't have to be one thing. And for me, like, I feel like I have a lot of different skill sets that I like to share. Like I like marketing. I like branding. I love teaching. Um, But, you know, putting together an Excel spreadsheet, like lights me up sometimes too. So (laughs) (laughs) place is so fun that you can wear all these different hats and not feel so like one-dimensional day day to day yeah and I mean I mean you've obviously found your like perfect fit because you use you utilize all of those things when you are doing the business that you're doing um and you know and I I think I like to through these conversations um no matter what it's about like I think a common thread has been like fear and a lack of confidence around like these leaps of faith that people wanted to take, um, whether it was with their health or with their business. And there was always like those stories in your mind. I think we've probably talked about this before. And I mean, it's something that I was a huge hurdle that I had to get over. And I mean, obviously the fear still comes up every single day. Um, but you know, I'd be curious kind of like you already kind of spoken to it, but when you didn't think that it was a possibility or you thought it was silly and something that was never able to come to fruition, can you kind of pinpoint exactly what those thoughts or stories were in your mind that was creating that resistance or fear? Yeah, I think, I mean, and you're so right. The fear comes up daily. I'm like, when are people going to stop showing up? Like, is this still happening? Do I I still have a job? Yeah. Um, But I guess they're total they're definitely thought loops and I think our brains are so subtle and sneaky and that it just hadn't even occurred to me that maybe I could start part-time and Mm. you know it not be my full source of income because for me that was a big part of the fear is like well how am I gonna pay my bills and how am I gonna you know like I'm used to making this much money a year, like at a job and like having benefits. So I can't even wrap my head around like not having that and what that looks like. Right. But for me, I think, yeah, those stories of just, 
I don't know. Also, I say my parents are my mentors, but like, I'm such a people pleaser. And I was like terrified to tell them like, oh yeah, I'm going to start my own business. And yeah. that's what I'm doing. And right. so I think we, we, we are all conditioned a certain way. And some people are more, maybe come from like more entrepreneurial backgrounds than others. And my parents have only had a more traditional path. So that, that scared me a little bit, but I think also when I realized that it wasn't about what other people thought, it was about how I felt every day about what I was doing mm-hmm. is when I was able to be like, you know what, it doesn't matter what people are going to say, or if people think I'm weird or whatever, like, yeah, I, this is what feels like true for me and my gut. Like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And that's a really good feeling. So I think what I would say to somebody, if you want to do your own thing and you're scared, if you are passionate about it and you love what you do, like there is a way and people, people will support you. Like people love to see other people excited about what they're doing and good at what they're doing as a result. And yeah, there's, there's so many ways to do it. So I think yourself up to these different avenues maybe it won't happen right away it might take time you might not like open it and it'll be a success overnight like it took me over a year to get to go teaching once a week one private a week to 26 a week yeah and I think that's a really important point for people to hear like when you said that initially like you couldn't even wrap your head around what that looked like because your mind like the human mind tends to like jump to an extreme or they like want to know farther down the road than what's possible to kind of foresee and there's no way of knowing that and like we have this idea in our minds that tends to kind of like either be um like an all or nothing kind of situation where it's like what it's really been helpful for me is when I kind of like look into other business stories or other entrepreneurial stories and knowing that like no one is an overnight success. Like I love like the Sarah Blakely Spanx story and how she like was going door to door selling like fax machines for seven years, like before. And then like, it took like, you know, her really bootstrapping it and like hustling for her to like get her brand off the ground and it, and it's just like you know if you can kind of and this is again kind of like more of like a yoga um a yogic way of thinking if you can kind of like bring it back to the present moment and just kind of go into each day each hour if you will with kind of like a little bit of curiosity like oh like what would happen if I did this or like now what's the next thing you know, and it's kind of like, you just get into the flow of it without the mind taking over to be like, but in order to do it, it has to look like this because it's never going to turn out the way that you, you think or expect or what have you. I mean, I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that, right. So, um, you know, I think that that's just a very inspiring thing for people to hear is that just stay open, you know? Totally. I think, I mean, exactly what you said about only living like in this day and I think taught us how to do that because you can't really plan more than two weeks out right now like right you can try but like yeah (laughs) and um 
for me, like I get, I find I get way more stressed and anxious if I'm like, okay, so like, what does the month look like? Or what does the next six months look like? And I'm like, okay, just get through this day, this week. Um, and that's, it's just the only way to do it because you don't know, you can't predict the future and nobody can or else we'll all like, you know, probably evacuated the world for 2020. (laughs) Exactly. Someone would have warned us. (laughs) Um, So tell a little bit more about like the types of students that come and see you on a weekly basis and um, what kind of positive results you've witnessed I would say both in yourself from a regular practice and in your students from a regular practice. Yeah, so my students range. um, Starting out, I had more people over the age of 50 um, and most people were coming with some kind of contraindication. So an injury or um, maybe an autoimmune disease, arthritis, something. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they were coming to private because they really needed the attention. They wanted to learn. Maybe their doctor said yoga would be good for them, but they didn't really know where to start. And they were scared to go into this huge group class and feel kind of lost if they were working around this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, since COVID, my students have expanded to anybody aged like 23 to 73, I think. I was taught than 73 like one time, but um, so that's been really fun. Um, I have a lot of, a lot of semi-privates are younger people. So they're coming with a friend or a family member. Mm-hmm. And um, so it really ranges. And I think I've had to learn to really meet people where they are. And mm-hmm. there's a fine line. I think I, I ebb towards being a people pleaser. So there's a fine line to be, between catering to people and just like giving them what they want and challenging them and maybe yeah. they don't do it, but like it would be good for them. So I'm definitely learning as a teacher how to meet each student where they are. Um, and then in terms of um, just effects of the yoga practice for myself and other people, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it started out physical, but now it is so mental. Like. I love it. And there's this YouTube video about fascia and it's called the fuzz video. Look it up if you haven't seen it. Okay. But your fascia like creates stuff, right? Fuzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You they dissect people and it's this layer. And so if you don't move your muscles every day in some way, there's this buildup of fascia. So And I think for me, it's all mental too. Like there's that physical fuzz, but then the mental fuzz. And it's just like a clear, I feel like the cobwebs in my brain have been uh, removed. So um, because I teach at 7 a.m. every day now, I don't practice before I wake up. I probably should. That's something I'm working Mm, on. Sorry. You try Mm -hmm. to do like five sun salutations before my client gets there, just so I feel clear. And then I typically practice in the middle of the day or the afternoon, whenever I have an hour. Um, And in terms of my clients, um, there's people that were dealing with like knee problems and back problems that just feel so much better. Like one of my clients has lost 20 pounds. Um, She's been on her diet too, but it was a, it was a lifestyle change, but 
I think just having that positive momentum and she's been amazing to watch. Like she starting out, she was like, I don't want to do yoga. I just want to stretch. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do yoga. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not yoga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> practice that we do. And she's like in there for an hour and um, it's amazing to see people transform. So that's definitely what keeps me coming back every day. Yeah. So that brings like, are, do you practice every day? Not every day. I probably practice five to six days a week. For me, like as a teacher, I can't really teach it if it's not in my body. So right. if I teach something new, I have to practice it first. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise I feel phony. Like I can't even yeah. the words. Yeah. Do you ever miss being taught yourself or do you, are you being taught ever? I totally do miss being taught. Um, mm -hmm. So I... Before I got really busy, I was driving to Charlottesville a couple of days a week and seeing my teacher there. And I'm still trying to go at least twice a month to see her just because she's the one who does awesome hands-on adjustments. If you're ever in Charlottesville, check her out. Yes, um, I go there quite frequently. Yeah, you should go. We should go together. Um, yeah, I would love to. So I do try to see her and then I like, I love seeing what other teachers are doing. And with COVID, I mean, there's so many offerings online now. So I will, yeah. um, but again, I do find a lot of comfort just coming to my mat and doing my practice. It looks the same every day, not every day, but the one that I'm talking about, the Ashtanga practice mm -hmm. and just kind mm -hmm. of not thinking for 90 minutes and doing it. Yeah. Depends. Yeah, I hear that. And it sounds as if like, you know, you try and fit it in as much as you can, which is great because, you know, especially for like a business owner and just someone who's super busy, it's always super hard. So being able to carve out that time is important. Um, so you kind of spoke to how it has, what? I was going to say, what does your practice look like during COVID? Oh, oh my gosh. I hate to admit that it was like kind of non-existent, I think. I think I'm someone who, what made yoga so special for me and so powerful for me was to be, it wasn't only about the physical, obviously it was about the mental and the emotional, um, and just like working through stress and, um, old trauma and things like that. And I think when you can walk into a room with a group full of other human beings that, you know, are working through their same stuff. And you can be taught by someone who's putting their hands on you and adjusting you and just making you feel connected. And then just like hearing, you know, whether it's music or the rhythm of the breath, what have you, like, it's very sincere, um, sensorial for me. So I think when everything kind of shut down and, you know, I, I did do some online classes, but I just, it got to the point where it was just not the same. And it really frustrated me to be have to transfer that into my messy cluttered office and then like you know looking at like a, a very like messy bookshelf instead of you know just so I was also like because of the business side of things very anxious and I felt like I needed something a little bit more like Argh! so I just did a lot of like hit workouts you know and I started jogging again so, um, you know, with reopening, I have gone back to some in-studio classes, um, but I, I too, like even now, like it's kind of like maybe a once a week thing. I, 
I am um, one of my best friends. Like she, I've been going to her house like once a week at like 6 a.m. And we kind of like, it's not a private class for her because I'm doing it too, but it's just basically like we're doing yoga together and I'm like kind of like talking the flow through. So that's been really good. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's not, as I mean, I was going four to five times a week, you know? Um, and it's something that just like kept me so sane and it kind of makes me sad, <laughs> but I know I'll get back there. It's just different. It's never too late. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely periods and chapters where it doesn't serve you the way it used to. And yeah. it's, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely will be coming to see you. I know I keep saying that, but I definitely am going to. So just stay tuned. Um, so you spoke a little bit about how it, a regular practice has like influenced your physical and your mental. And I know that you said at the very beginning that you, you know, were religious and you went to church. Has it influenced your spirituality at all? I think so. Um, I, I was always like, I'm I guess I'm more spiritual than I'm religious. Like I, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, studying all these texts, I think mm-hmm. they're all trying to say the same thing at the end of the day, whether yeah. it's the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, there's plenty out there. And um, yeah, I think for me, the yoga room kind of became church a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't go to a church right now. But it, at the end of the day, prayer is a form of meditation and breathing and moving in your body is a form of meditation. Um, meditating can be a form of prayer. <laughs> so um, for me, I think it's just about getting quiet and I find a lot of comfort in handing over my problems or my stress to whatever it is, the universe, God, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Um, mm-hmm it's all the same place in my mind. So being able, um, that's something that this summer I got more into was a pranayama and um, meditation practice. So like a breath work and meditation practice. And that has, that has proved to be very um, helpful. It's not great at it. Like I don't sit there and meditate for an hour, but if I can get like five minutes in, I feel better. Yeah, that's how I am too. Five minutes usually. Sometimes Alex meditates with me and we'll do sometimes 10 minutes on the weekends. But yeah, it's it's not, you know, it's not easy. Um, and so do you have kind of a seated meditation practice? That was one of my questions too. Yeah, so I do. So typically after I, I have to practice my yoga first because I find if I just sit down and try to meditate, I... I'm a little distracted so mm-hmm. the physical practice followed by a little bit of breath work so yeah the nadi shodana breathing I like in through one nostril out through the other nostril and just sitting there breathing maybe four counts in five counts out mm-hmm. and then I can sit and try to meditate for a little bit try yeah I did actually just join um one of Fraser's meditation groups on Tuesday evenings. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Some stuff at Humble Haven and she's, um, she trained under Lynn. And so that I'm like brand new to the group. So. Yes. I think Eliza is Eliza in that still. I feel yeah, like she, yeah, she was always talking to me about that. Yeah. 
Um, brand new. What what is it? Wednesday evenings? Tuesdays at six. Tuesdays at six. Okay. I might keep that in mind, actually. Um, especially when it gets like dark outside. Like I hate now that like it's like going home at like 5 30 and it's like pitch black dark and it's like hour and a half, two hours to dinner, and it's like, you know, just yeah. feel so unmotivated. I like was a child last night. I ate dinner at 5 30 and was in the yeah. <laughs> that's like me every night <laughs> um all right I have a couple more questions for you so do you have other forms of like self-care and stress relief that you turn to um yeah I I love baths Dr. Sangnua's mm. mustard bath I'll give that a plug it's awesome um you can buy what it is on- it it's called Dr. Singa's Mustard Bath. Ooh. I'll send you the link. It says it's like a, yeah, so it's like a, I don't have a bath. Well, I do have a bathtub, but it's in Alex's. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Good to know. Um, I love baths too. Any other? Um, yeah, that's, that one's important. Um, honestly, now that I'm teaching so much, I have started getting the occasional massage because my body is like my yoga practice. I'm not hurting myself, but the way that I'm adjusting people, mm-hmm. by the way, ask and, you know, we, we oh, suit yeah. for the hands-on adjustments. Uh-huh. And I had a serious problem last week with my shoulder. So I've, I've decided to commit to myself to doing some kind of body work, which isn't cheap, but I need, like I need it right now. Yeah. So. Sometimes it's necessary. Um, yeah. So those are two things that I really like. Um, I love to cook. My Tom and I cook a lot together. Not as much right now because he works a lot too. But mm-hmm. we'll do a plug for Kate Uncorked. That's yeah. Um, all of the good Richmond stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what else do I do? I, I go on walks. That's kind of my other form of exercise other than yoga. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know. It's comforting to be out in nature and I love it. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. 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 So what, as you like continue to build your brand and your business, what are some like really important things for you to either like tackle or keep in mind, um, especially as we enter 2021? That is a loaded question. <laughs> um, like I said, I'm just happy. Getting deep here, Jane. <laughs> well, I'm in the middle of wrapping up my logo design right now. So mm-hmm. that's top of mind. Um, having more people. So right now I have um, privates and I have some group classes, groups of four, but they're all like, pre-booked. Um, right now, I'm just not comfortable having four strangers walk into a room together because we can't be six feet apart in my 200 square foot yoga shed. So yeah, um, that's probably something that I'll want to expand into when things are, when it seems appropriate. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I think for me right now, it's, I'm kind of at a point where I'm ready to be like, okay, let me just like swallow all of this for a little bit and not yeah. bigger and be in a place where I can manage and down the road, who knows, maybe, maybe one day there will be a bigger space. Maybe one day there will be more teachers. Um, 
but in the meantime, I'm just kind of trying to stay alive. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Good, good to take things slowly, I think. Um, so because obviously we're a nutrition company, um, and I always like to kind of talk to people about that. Um, does your practice influence your eating or nutritional philosophy or in any way, or if you have a nutritional philosophy, what does that look like? It definitely does. Um, I think I fall in the camp of people that it's taken me a long time to figure out like what I should eat and when I should eat and gratified bars save me a lot. Like uh -huh. we stocked in my freezer at all times. I like them out of the freezer. They're the perfect texture. So good. So, you know, those are always like a meal replacement more than once a week and they're delicious or they're a dessert. Also a great. <laughs> they, they are very versatile bars. I'll give and them that. My nutrition. I mean, I hate to admit that I've been everything from like vegan to paleo to like not caring at all and eating cheeseburgers. And <laughs> same. I think the nutrition du jour is trying to just listen to my body and eating mostly plants so love it yeah that's kind of where I'm at I still eat some meat um I don't eat a lot of meat honestly because it's more complicated to cook and yeah um I'm eating more like lentils and grains than I probably used to just because mm -hmm. it feels right but mm -hmm. yeah yeah. And I think that that, and I, I was talking to someone in a previous interview about this is like the common thread that we've always heard is like, eat a lot of plants, right? right. Like you can't so go like wrong with that. Every mind body green podcast, they're like Michael Pollan. Eat. Yeah. Eat plants. Yeah, eat. exactly. Not too much, mostly plants. Like, yeah. And I like to encourage people to just like go in it with some curiosity, like as you are speaking to right now, like you evolve and change, your body evolves and change, your eating way of eating will evolve and change. And that is all fine. Like, it's not like I've been paleo, I've been vegan, same thing here. And it's like, now I'm just like you, where I've just kind of like reached a middle ground where like, I'm just every day, I'm just kind of like listening to my body, listening to my cravings, eating mostly plants. And, you know, like last night we had pizza and it was fabulous. And, you know, you just, and then you just enjoy and you move on. So, um, no, I think that that's great. So my last question, cause I ask everyone this because I have a fascination with it myself is what is your morning routine? Oh my God. I'm actually so excited to talk about this because I find <laughs> oh my God. So I've been studying a little bit of Ayurveda recently and mm -hmm. take on the morning routine. So I actually have one. It took me 28 years, but here we are. Um, <laughs> I got up at 6, sometimes 5.30, usually 6. And I go to the bathroom. I scrape my tongue. Mm. I love scraping. It's very mm -hmm. cool. Gross. Like, you see all the, the – your mouth has a microbiome, like your gut. So, yeah. Okay. Good to know. And I drink some warm water. I hate it. I do not like warm water, but that's apparently what I'm supposed to be doing. I force myself to. And then I get to drink my coffee after that, and I'm super excited. I put ghee and cardamom in my coffee. Mm. Sit down, look at my 
schedule for the day, kind of get an idea of who I'm teaching, start thinking about that. Um, and then make my way out to the shed, turn on the heat because it's cold now. And I try to get some of my movement in then. So like five to 10 minutes, sun salutations, warm up. And then my first client's there at seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, Ayurveda is really fun to kind of study and look into and see where you can apply it. And I, and I love that just about like anything with health is, you know, all of these things, philosophies, what have you just offer like a toolbox of things that you can like kind of pick and choose and see what works for your life and what doesn't and like take what works, leave what doesn't. So, um, no, I think that's great. And Ayurveda is definitely something I want to look into more myself. It's a cool philosophy. And I think when you come back to nutrition, I think what I've learned from it is that what you eat matters, but when you eat, how you eat and who you eat with matter too. So yes, it's very like holistic. Eating your life, eating a salad at 9 p.m. or something, like you might not digest it that well. And yeah, so. yeah. Um, all right, well, this is so fun. Thank you so much for all of your insight and wisdom and I can't wait to share it with our audience and yeah, get in there myself. I'll make yeah. it happen. Thank you for having me. It's an honor, truly. And you are mm -hmm. an inspiration. Gratified. Thanks for No. Well, thank you. Thank um, you. And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people. For further learning, be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes, and you can connect with us on Instagram at Gratisfied or my account at Sarah McLaughlin. Until next time.